Hi, everybody. This is Nancy Novak, Chief Innovation Officer at Compass Data Center, and we are excited to introduce you to the next episode of Extending the Ladder, Women in Sust and Sustainability. We have with us Brittany Marley. Brittany, we are so excited to have you, and we would love just as a beginning introduction to kind of understand a little bit about your path and what makes you so passionate on this subject. Thanks so much, Nancy. It's my pleasure being here. Um, you know, I've been very lucky to be in the data center development space, which is at a forefront of understanding sustainability, um, predominantly from the use of energy and its impact on the carbon footprint. So as I, I got into this project, um, I had a great opportunity to meet with a lot of people who have a lot of opinions about the state of renewable energy. And um, just the more I learned, the more uh, in, actually impassioned I am about this. And uh, happy to, to have this conversation and hopefully share some ideas with your uh, STEM leaders. Well, I'm, I'm really excited because I know you've done some extensive research and I and you've interviewed quite a few leaders in this space. And I think, you know, the first thing I wanted to ask you is, do you think women are in a unique position to address sustainability and, and why why would that be? It's a great question. And I didn't presume to have the answer actually off the top of my head. So I sought out the opinions and experience that some fellow women leaders had, and this included the head of uh, sustainability for Accenture and SAP and Microsoft. And um, we even uh, met with Julie Davenport, who is an officer of the most excellent order at the British Empire because she was the first female founder for a renewable energy company. So I really put the question to them to help, you know, get a, a much broader view of what women's role is in sustainability and how they could affect change. And I think the the dominant point of view was really that they're just not at the table. Um, they when you when you don't have women involved in leadership roles and they don't have a seat in the decisioning and influence, you're literally missing half the story. And that means you're literally missing half the solution. Yeah, you know, that that's absolutely true. I love um, thinking about that from a diversity standpoint, a gender diversity standpoint. We are half the population. And I do think it's fascinating, too, that you had mentioned earlier that change is, you know, driven by individuals. And that's really what you were trying to dig into is these really powerful individuals and how they have um, a position to address sustainability um, more at those grassroots levels, you know, when it gets right down to you know, who makes decisions in the household versus, you know, an individual and a corporation, correct? That's true. And in fact, um, Tamara Walker from SAP has done a lot of work on this, not just in her professional role, but she's very active in the local community and local governments. And I, I think that was a un unanimous sentiment in that women have a grassroots mentality that they're great at mobilizing communities and they are actually have a unique role in many lower socioeconomic communities in particular where they're the they're the household provider um, they're the nurturing they're caring for children and they're making most of the purchase decisions so that's at a very individual level um and then you go to the community level and then you go to the corporation level and and then you get to the government. And we just see a lot of disparity between the women and their 
their presence in each of those levels and how they how all are important in order to affect change. Yeah, that I just I just find that so fascinating. And I know there's a lot of empirical evidence that supports exactly what you're saying. But having the perspectives from these you know women that you interviewed is just really it feels like it's hitting close to home. Um, you know, I know that you you um, you probably have seen uh, you know with social media that um, I speak a lot about diversity and inclusion. And and being chief of innovation, I like to point out that diversity you know helps innovation, which then helps problem solving which is then, you know, can make more money, which can in turn affect change, right? And I, I wanted to ask you, like, you know, to kind of, you know, give us more of your lenses on being the only in the room and the benefit of being the only in the room. Well, I'll give a, a funny example from, from Julie Davenport. And um, she said, look, you know, even in, say, the automotive industry, it's not specific to data center development or high tech, um, but the ergonomics of, of the the uh, female anatomy is very different. And when they went to do design, industrial design for the cars, it, the test dummies were uh, replicating a, a male a physique. And so as a result, most of the whiplash and concussion cases coming out of cars, uh, women were 40% more likely to incur those types of injuries because the wow. cells didn't sit on them properly. And just by having women involved in the design process, they were able to make a change that was beneficial, not just to the health and safety of the individual, but also the integrity and the safety of the, of the manufacturer as it, as it rolled out more cars. So, I mean, it wow. seems like a, a simple example, but really it, it's not. There's, there's definitely a unique point of view, um, whether it's the ability to communicate, to advocate, to get people, um, invested in the better the, the betterment of all uh the good of all and not just for the individual i think it takes that long view that women i think are uniquely positioned to do in order to motiv motivate you know everyone and at every level yeah you know and they do and women do represent all forms of diversity which i think is another important point to make when it comes to you know our, the the, the gender diversity versus ge diversity, you know, overall, because um, you're right that those different uh, perspectives, I think, are so critical. I love how you brought up the story of, you know, the contribution of the female in the decision making room is when they're in the design stages. I know that um, I, I have a story I always tell about GM, which is also the automotive business where Mary Barra achieved parity on her board. And it was through the, um, you know, the assistance of her teams telling her that, you know, we've got to have more diversity in order to really stay relevant. And um, and they wanted a steering committee. And she said, well, then the board should be the steering committee if it's really that important. And sure enough, you know, that that came from the top down. So it made a really, really big difference. Um, and I, I just really love the fact that, oh, my gosh, I have to tell you that the um, the whole Ford Explorer commercial, right, um, where they said, you know, this is a Ford made for men or by men or specifically, and it was literally missing all that is the parts that were designed by women, like windshield wipers and heaters and GPS and things that were invented by women. And therefore, you know, um, kind of silly, but really captured our attention over how important it is to get other perspectives uh, when you're not just designing, but using. And and I think sustainability fits right into that category because there's such, such big problems to solve. And it just would be devastating, I think, for us to leave 
half of our talent on the sidelines by not having them at those decision-making tables. Um, so I have a, a, another question for you, Brittany. Um, on the state of sustainability, let's talk a little bit about where we're at, how we're measuring it, and you know what kind of changes we're looking for through you know these processes that will allow us to get better and better. Yeah, well, it is a global problem. It's an and it's a global opportunity to solve. So I, I always want to focus on what can be done and not just, uh, you know, doom and gloom, because I think, you know, we're in a position now. And and I think it was very well said that, you know, people make um, societies and societies make economies. And those econ- economies now have to be making decisions that are now going to support those very same societies and, and individual and, and people that are in them. Um, sustainability and and global climate change, these are not for one person to solve. And I think when you look at even G20 and, and the World Economic Forum and Davos and the people who are trying to collaborate across governments, across corporations, um, thought leadership and innovation, they have membership that is upwards of 30% of women, but they have almost no presence in the board level in making decisions. And uh, what a great opportunity to start there because of, again, teamwork, collaboration point of view. Um, I think from a, from a corporation standpoint, um, I really, really got a lot of great insight from the women that I spoke to and the things that they are advocating for. Um, both Accenture and SAP and Microsoft, they all are dealing with the largest corporations in the world um, and are also the largest corporations in the world. And one of the things that they have that is, is unique is the ability to look at the full supply chain. Um, a lot of companies have mandates. They know they want to be carbon neutral. They are have aspirations to be net zero, and it's and let me be very clear. Uh, carbon neutral is making sure your carbon dioxide emissions are either accounted for or offset by renewable energy credits. Either you're not producing them, or you're or you're doing uh, energy credits to offset them, which is sort of a Rob Peter to pay Paul. Um, really want to focus on the elimination and reduction of emissions, but net zero is really focused on. All green gas, uh, green gas, how no greenhouse. Thank you. I got tongue tied on that one. Um, all of the emissions, not just limited to CO2. And so, um, the only way to effectively do that is through metrics. You have to know what you're producing. Is it from manufacturing? Is it from operations? Is it further downstream in the supply chain? Is it upstream in your distribution and your ability to deliver to your customers? And if you're not measuring it in this entire circular ecosystem, then you don't even know how you're making an impact. Um, and if you don't have a benchmark or context around what those metrics mean, it's it's very hard to find out where you're where you're able to make change and where you're able to show successes. So, um, with all of the systems that are in place, um, CRM systems, ERP systems, you know, systems that are already being provided, um, there are ways to capture that data, and we just have to get smarter and better about looking at the whole picture and having the whole ecosystem involved, and not just a point to point or a business unit solution. 
So Brittany, I'm super happy that you mentioned the importance of understanding what measurements actually mean and including you know, the holistic view of the supply chains upstream and downstream. You know, here at Compass, we're trying to coin a phrase called scope four. And really all that means is that benchmarking that you're talking about, about making good decisions through product selection, means and methods, design decisions, use of technology or whatever it is that actually shows that you're making a good decision. And that decision is offsetting credits that, that would, um, or carbon that would go into the atmosphere had you not made that better decision. So really changing the narrative around that, I think is so important. And I would like to, you know, I really loved also what you said about learning from other industries. If we could just dig into that a little more, I think that would be fascinating. Yeah, I mean, just parlaying off what you said on Compass, um, even at Stack, the production of the data center itself, it is improving the efficiency of power. It is improving or reducing the use of water, but that's just industry specific, right? And one of the things that I thought was really unique that Microsoft is doing for their Azure platform is they have tools inside that allow enterprises to measure the impact that it has from going on on-prem infrastructure into cloud infrastructure and um, really being able to see how it affects their use of energy to support their day-to-day operations. And it's just one data point, but it's one worth mentioning. Um, Another one that came out of SAP is that 1% improvement in your carbon emission upfront can create a 45% improvement downstream. That's crazy. And that's incredible. And, And again, if you're not measuring it, we really don't know how to then improve it. Um, so I think there's a lot of opportunity for um, the individuals to get together at, again, at the grassroots level, do what you can locally, do what you can as an individual. I'll give myself as an example. In a small hiatus from technology, I decided I'm going to start a skincare line. And I worked with some of the largest companies to bring that skincare line to market. It won most sustainable product because we looked at packaging, we looked at the ingredients, we looked at our um, our carbon footprint when we brought that to market. So something I'm very proud of, and it's not, you know, it has nothing to do with technology. Although certainly um, the innovation, and I know you mentioned this earlier, is really um, you're most successful when you have all parties at the table, when government is aligned, when corporations are aligned, when Corporations are designing and developing innovations that truly make an impact. For instance, moving to graphene, you know, using batteries for lithium uh, ions versus having a, a graphene-based battery. What are the what's the whole ecosystem, and how are um, governments looking at this? Countries are looking at this. Environmentals are looking at it. It's not just a point solution. It has to be looked at at a holistic point of view. Yeah, no, and I and I think that's important too. And that's why I, you know, the whole ESNG also need to be taken into consideration. So when you look at sourcing raw materials and where those come from on the planet and any, any you know, unintended consequences around, you know, coming up with these innovative ideas, I think it takes all the lenses um, at the table in order to really understand that uh, from, you know, cognitively and also just, you know, from a scientific point of view. So, and I, and I do know that we, that there are things that we can do in our, in the built environment industry 
um, that that could garner us a lot of momentum if we learn from other industries who have partnered with you know some of these raw material suppliers and some of the largest suppliers on the planet. Um, they you know they're still an issue, but they we've improved a lot just by understanding you know how we use the materials, how we logistically ship the materials. And um, through means and methods on how those, how steel is smelted and how concrete is produced and things like this, you know, we can learn from other industries and we can really, really make a big difference. Um, I always like to point out to the audience, you know, that the built environment is close to 50% of total greenhouse gas emissions. And out of 100% of greenhouse gas emissions, concrete, the most abundant material on the planet, you know, has a component called cement and the cement is 7% of total greenhouse gas emissions. So imagine the move that we could have if there was a replacement for that product or a reduction on that product, you know, from on a global scale. I mean, just huge opportunity here. Um, so so let's talk a little bit about learning from other industries as well as, you know, just when it comes to larger infrastructure, you know, changes, you know, they ha- what, how do we mobilize this? And how do, how do, we, um, how do we solve for... Um, you know, for these things that we've been discussing, Brittany. Yeah. So there's a lot to unpack there and it's not an easy solve, which is why the more people at the table, the better. So you can generate those ideations and, and uh, innovations. So um, I'm going to, I'll stop, start at the basics in the environment side, right? Um, the carbon emission um, has to be solved and that is a, a universal solve. It's going to, it's going to, be at every level, um, you know, governments are in a position to create policies. Policies are hard to enforce. And you also still need to have the, the right metrics in which to measure success or, or failure against those policies. And those are areas that are still under development. Corporations are unique, unique position because they have mandates. They have mandates to their own, uh, you know, values that they have with their employees, their clients. But they also have, you know, answers to the street. They need to make sure that they're leaning forward and they're being good citizens and that they're addressing the their investors' uh, goals and values as well. And and that's where a lot of these uh, corporate mandates come from. And then you have at the at the individual level, um, how are we how are we creating jobs for ourselves? And if our job in some countries is based on deforestation so they can have lumber or they can get to coal or they can get other natural resources to benefit their economic position. How do we then incentivize them or monetize a way for preservation? Um, I spoke with my friend Yobi Benjamin, who's very active in this space, and he pointed out, you know, look, we there's there's only so many ways you can create oxygen or deplete carbon from the environment. Where are your carbon sinks? How are you going to, um, if you if you are not monetizing or incentivizing people to preserve the largest oxygen producers, these beautiful forests in the Amazon and Congo and in Indonesia, then we are not solving it at the most basic level. Um, and so I think there's a lot to be done there. And and in Corporations have never been more empowered than now in terms of directing policy and creating their own charters. So um, I think in that instance, it's really that working hand in glove together to address these at a at a universal level. 
So Brittany, um, I was just talking about how we were in uh, on the West Coast together at a conference, and I think it's really um, interesting to kind of wrap our brains around the data center industry and the opportunity they have to really pivot in the built environment. And I, I wanted to frame this up so that you could kind of talk a little bit more about the, you know, the this entry point and the policy making from kind of a, a, a blank slate approach. Uh, while we were over there, I thought it was fascinating to kind of hear about how, you know, we've been building enterprise level colo data centers and now cloud data centers for the past 25 years here in the U.S. and in, in, in the developed countries, basically. That's really how I, I was trying to frame this question to where you could kind of you know, let us know that hindsight is 2020 and now we've got some foresight. What should we do really? Yeah, so great question. Um, what I've heard and discussed and shared ideas about is just this role of government policy, government um, public utilities, right? We're in a market that's one of the most dynamic and fastest growing anywhere in the world. We cannot produce enough energy to support um, the demand for digital transformation. And is that the responsibility of the corporation, the end user, the local utility, the subsidies from the government? It is not an easy solve. The grid that is put in place today was not intended to support the amount of, of demand. And it's, it hasn't been hardened to the degree that it needs to be to support all of the um, digital transformation that's happening in the market. So uh, going to renewable energy and going to other sources of energy, battery, um, solar, wind, hyd um, hydro, all of these are great. However, our, our, our system today doesn't allow the equitable distribution of all of those resources. And I'll give you a perfect example. Um, I was the uh, Michelle Lancaster, again, from Microsoft, she was citing, it's great that we've moved to electrical vehicles and trying to reduce our reliance on fossil fuels. Great. If you're driving an electric vehicle in Montana that's being charged and powered by the local grid, that grid is on fossil fuel. Wow. So here we have the gap. Now, whose responsibility is it to solve? And the answer is it's everyone. And it's not just the government. It's not just the corporation. It's not just grassroots or environmentalists. It has to be everyone, which means the, the, the challenge is the silos. Then how do you collaborate? How do you innovate when the cost of entry is going to be different for each party? The enforcement is going to be different. The operational changes um, will be different. There's a bit of um, kind of leading with the paycheck, and it's going to take money. And that money money might come from a government subsidy to help uh, you know do some of the enhancements and reinforcements. But it might also fall onto the consumer for paying higher prices on the products produced, or to the corporations in order to literally change their existing systems, their existing operations, and um, take a step forward. And that cost is typically in the early adoption phase, right? It's amortized, it grows, it propels you forward. Going back to the sentiment that our, our societies build these economies. Well, now these economies have to shift to now support the people yeah. and these societies. And the only way to do that is to invest in it. 
And in fact, um, you know, Julie Davenport has one of the only uh, 100% women-led investment funds that was just listed on the London Stock Exchange in their entire charter is going after renewable energy and sustainable practices and insofar as even helping consult companies and how to be a green startup, how to look at, you know, look at it from a holistic point of view. There are definitely mavericks out there. Now, we just need more of those mavericks to be at the table. <laughs> I love that. I love the term mavericks. Thank you. So on, on that very note, so, you know, ESG and DE&I, how do they intersect? And then we can close out with like, really, how can female leaders lead the charge towards this more inclusive and sustainable practice? And there's an intersection there. Let's talk about that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, it's not just a sentiment to have diversity, inclusion, um, and equity. It actually, and I think we've shared enough examples today on the importance of having women at the table, having um, having the empowerment. If we can't represent 5% of the CEOs when we're 50% of the population, there is something missing. And um, we just need to, con it's not just an advocacy, it's also an awareness um, that the way we all process information is different individually, not men or women, just individually is different, but we need to round it out and have putting our best foot and holistic point of view forward. We need to have more women at the table um, and, and helping making, making those decisions. Um, you won't see the improvements in our quality of life. You won't see the improvement in climate change and making it the most hospitable place for anyone to thrive, any company to thrive, if we don't have that social engagement, the diversity engagement, um, and and the uh, you know the metrics to support it and and show that we're truly making an impact. So hey, Brittany, that has been just a fantastic conversation. You are a wealth of knowledge. We are so excited to be learning from you. I hope our audience can take away some really good nuggets. And I would just love for you to just leave parting words about if there was one thing you want them to really grasp and maybe a call to action, what would that be? Likewise, Nancy, great conversation. And and I'd like to take credit, but I really can't. Um, I was very fortunate to be talking to a lot of thought leaders in this space and will continue to do so. And so that's a perfect sort of takeaway for anyone listening. Um, don't stop learning. Don't stop asking questions. Um, don't stop advocating and using your voice. Um, make the move, challenge your companies, challenge your communities to do things differently. Um, it, it does take a village and that village includes the women here on the call. So thanks so much, Nancy. I love it. Very good. Thank you so much, Brittany.